Hey there, guys. Welcome back to At Least There's This, a, a show where we try to highlight and meditate on some of the small things that make the world a decent one to live in. So unless you've been living under a rock, and if you have, I'm very jealous. Who's your broker, and what's the rock market like these days? I gotta get me a rock. Are you renting? Are you buying? You've probably heard that the Mueller investigation is ramping up about the Trump campaign's potential, in heavy air quotes, collusion ties with Russia. Also today, a man in a truck drove into eight people in New York City, People are quickly assuming it's ISIS-related. It might very well be. Who knows? I think it's fair to say that people are afraid, potentially even a little xenophobic right now. So I'm really happy I got to have a conversation with my guest. He is an incredibly intelligent filmmaker who's from a different culture than me. English is his second language, and he's still more well-spoken and introspective than I'll ever hope to be. And we got to talk about culture, about representation, about creativity. And it was not just fun and informative, and we geeked out about a lot of stuff, but it was also hopeful. This is a dude who's come from a different country because he cares about making films that matter to him, and he cares about representation. People like him and people not like him. And he came all the way to a country that he had never lived in before, living in a small town to go to film school, and now he's producing a pretty monumentous film festival. They're having their first year, 2017, this November, so about a week after this podcast episode dropped, they're having their opening night. So if you guys happen to live in L.A. and you want to see some good, cool, weird, interesting films, either from China, about China, about Chinese people, especially about experiences we don't normally get to see here in America, go online and look for the LACFF, Los Angeles Chinese Film Festival. I helped out a little bit with some English copy editing. I know a lot of people put a lot of really hard work into it, and this festival is going to be awesome. So it's, anyway, if you like the podcast, and I hope you do, like it on Facebook, find me on Instagram, if you like it, share it with a friend, let them know how you feel, subscribe to it if you're not a subscriber already, if you don't like the episodes, you can just delete them and wait for ones that you do, they come out every week, and if it's good, especially this episode, review it, go on iTunes, hit review, type in three words and give me five stars. Also, uh, I've been getting a lot of listens from around the world, if you're one of my listeners from Australia, Thank you if you're one of my listeners from Mexico. Thank you if you're one of my listeners from India. Uh, I'm very curious to know how you found out about me. Thank you very much. I'll get to my conversation with Louis Liu in a second. But first, here's an advertisement from another podcast on the Nerdist School Network. Hey, y'all, it's me, Tammy Thompson. Hello, my name is Bill. You know me, I'm Dionysus, the god of water. Are you tired of bars telling you about how good their record is? I found gold under my grandma's house, and I didn't know what to do with it. But then I heard this commercial, and I said, okay, here, you can take all 4,500 pounds of this gold. I got $26, and now I can go to Arby's. Call today, one 888 Side effects include depression. The best medicine podcast here on the Nerdist School Network. Stop dressing up your cat and fall in love. 
Hey, everybody. It's been a little bit since I've been in the booth, but it's good to get back. Um, God, you must be so tired of hearing me say this exact phrase. Man, what a week we've had. But uh, yeah, but that. It, it's not been great. Um, I don't even know why I'm listing the shit that's gone down, because you're probably more aware of it than I am. There's our president saying that a fallen soldier knew what he signed up for, and then uh, Kelly, who's now a politician, but also a general, saying that no one can question the president, and everything just looking a little, um, a little on the light side of fascism right now. So in a world where shit is falling down all around us, at least there's... There are more opportunities for Asians and the Kremlin and me. Hey guys, I'm with uh, I'm with my good friend Luzio, and we are here to talk about representation. We're here to talk about media and race. I met Louis about a year ago or a little less at like drink mixer for people interested in China and Hollywood and co-productions in film. And we hit it off pretty quickly. Lewis is an incredibly intelligent dude uh, who really just like knows his shit in life. He's one of the smartest people I've met in LA. Oh, thank you so much for the compliment. You know, you're welcome. That's the last one you're getting today. Uh, it's just going to be negative from here on out. Okay. Do uh, you want to tell people a little bit about you? Sure. My name is Lewis. I'm from Wuhan, China, originally. Wuhan is known as the eastern Chicago of the third biggest city in China, which is now also the transportation hub of all the bullet trains. I came to the U.S., and actually, specifically, I went to the University of Iowa in the Midwest for three years and got my MFA in film and video production. Then I went to Washington, D.C. and worked there for four years for the Voice of America, Mandarin Service. And after that, I got my green card. I came to L.A. right before Trump became the president, which I was pretty felt pretty happy and lucky about. You got it right on the wire. Yes, that's correct. And yeah, I came to LA and started working in the entertainment industry. And right now I organize the LA Chinese Film Festival. And I also consult for a production company that's making a Jackie Chan movie. That's wow. I didn't know that last part. Jackie Chan was my childhood hero. I'll try not to geek out about that. <laughs> uh, the LA CFF, the LA Chinese Film Festival, is a huge undertaking. Which so I met Lewis at that um, at that mixer, and then r almost right away he started to organize this film festival just like from scratch. Him and you and one other person, two other people, and uh, two other people. Him and two other people grew this from grassroots completely and now it's gotten pretty big i mean you've got like big panelists you've got how many films do you have in the entirety of the rotation i think we have about more than 30 films we have actually nine feature films and 20 uh short films that we are screening yeah i i actually got to help out a little bit in um copy editing for english so i'm really excited to be a part of this and it's going to be a really amazing what made you interested in doing work in the media in america instead of in china so actually, before I came to the U.S., I used to work for the China Central Television for half a year. And uh, one thing that we always do the first time we go to the newsroom is to decide based on the censorship and instructions by, you know, the government what cannot be broadcast. So the first thing is, you know, we got news feed from Reuters, from AP, and probably out of a thousand uh, news feed we get every day, there's maybe about 100 that we wanted to, you know, we could broadcast. So, you know, the Mideast and a lot of things that's not relevant to what my channel was working, we'll filter that out. And then whatever, you know, that doesn't 
represent China very well, we also filtered that out. So, um, so even though I was working there, you know, at the same time, there were a lot of things happening in China. It was back in 2008, uh, right actually right after the Olympics. So um, because of the censorship, I didn't feel there is a lot of freedom to really work in the media, even though I worked there. I, can, I could see a lot of footage that no other people in China at the time could see. So it was not the best feeling to actually work there, feeling, you know, how, uh, why, why is it that I can see all these things happening around the world, but the audience cannot see it? So it didn't feel, or it didn't occur to me that this would be the career that I wanted. So, and at the same time, I got a fellowship from the University of Iowa uh, to, go to, to, uh, to go there for film school. And it's also a very rare case that I'll be funded, fully funded for three years to get a film degree because wow. it's almost impossible to do that either in New York or L.A. because, you know, film schools are usually so expensive. You pay about $200,000 to go there. So I thought, what a great opportunity. And maybe, you know, why not just give it a shot and try it out? So that's how I ended up in Iowa City, Iowa <laughs> for three years. <laughs> Which is from going from, like, the third biggest city in China to Iowa City is like what the smallest thing you can call a city. Yeah, there are three streets parallel to each other in <laughs> Iowa City, and there's about maybe forty-five restaurants. I've been to every one of them. I was actually the only Asian student uh, when I went to my film school. So that's but, so crazy. Yeah, it was uh, you know Iowa is like ninety-seven percent uh, white. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then I'm part of the three percent, which are mostly international students. And also at the time when I went to school, it was back in two thousand and nine, so eight years ago. There was not a lot of Chinese students going to film school at the time. But nowadays, you actually see there's hundreds, of Chi- uh, hundreds of Chinese students, you know, at USC or UCLA or other big film schools. Right, because the Chinese like film world, as, lo- as far as America is concerned, kind of just blew up recently. Mm-hmm. Like, I grew up on, like, Chinese diaspora films. I grew up on, like, films from Hong Kong and Taiwan, mostly from Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. But Americans' knowledge of Chinese media was entirely Jackie Chan and Crouching Tiger. And then all of a sudden, I feel like it just exploded on the scene. That, like, everybody, not just in, in Hollywood, but almost anybody who cares about media in the U.S. has to know about what's going on in Beijing and what's going on in Shanghai too. And that, so I feel like with that, it's like a ton of Asian students are also getting more involved in mm-hmm. Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Actually, uh, I think that has a lot to do with, you know, the economic bloom, uh, the, econom- the economic boom in China and how, you know, the Chinese box office is growing very fast. So, uh, but in the meantime, there's also the, you know, the internet, uh, I, guess, I would say revolution which gave people more opportunities because before probably maybe 10 or 20 years ago, it was still very hard to make films. But nowadays, if you have, you know, like an iPhone or a digital camera, yeah. you can, you can make, a, make a film. So that's what really happened in the last few years. There's a lot of internet movies being made. Like people make films and then just post it on the internet. And it can be really super low budget. So a lot of people are, you know, really getting into film production. And in the meantime, because of the, you know, the, the economic growth, there's a lot of Chinese students from middle, middle upper class families who go abroad and study filmmaking, you know, in the U.S. or U.K. or other countries. And then a lot of them also go back to China and start working in the industry because there's a big market now. So there's not enough good content. So there's actually a lot of also good opportunities for you know Chinese people who actually have that uh, experience or at least education uh, in film and and production. You first got here in two thousand and nine. 
what could you see as far as representation that was like, oh, no, that's wrong? What jumped out at you? Um, when I first came to the U.S., I guess it's just really, you know, I was in Iowa. I went to the movie theaters all the time, but I rarely see an Asian film anywhere. Or if there's a, you know, American film, and occasionally if I see an Asian character, you know, it's usually the same stereotypical characters, you know, either... I would call it the you know the martial art or kung fu monkey king or right. the asexual Asian guy or you know the the sidekick the nerd the model minority you know those are still the, the stereotypical roles that I saw when I first came here and also I actually took an Asian American cinema class and kind of you know uh, studied the history of Hollywood and how Asians are represented. And uh, to be honest, I think the represent representation of Asians on the big screen hasn't changed that much, even though there, there are improvements, but you still see, you don't, like, you, you really see a lead Asian character in a mainstream Hollywood film. I guess one exception is that uh, recently they made Crazy Rich Asians, and then there's Fresh Out Votes, so those are, you know, the new things that's coming out that are right. exciting. Yeah. But when I first came here for film school, you know, uh, it's almost impossible for me to watch on a big screen in a movie theater in Iowa of an, you know to see an Asian face. Yeah, and how does it feel as an Asian man with that that stereotype of like the asexual or effeminate Asian man? You're either I and I even as like a white guy I've noticed it too. It's you're either like a badass kung fu master and then you're asexual because oh you're like, you know, you're a Buddhist and you don't have sex or you're like a nerd who's very effeminate. As an Asian guy watching that, what is it like when you're seeing yourself represented that way by other people? Um, I guess it's it's very um, for me. At first, I think it was a shock because coming from China or growing up in China, I was like the white male of China, <laughs> so <laughs> I never understood or never felt how it feels like to be to be a minority or represented in a way you know that's uh, kind of depreciating or you know. So when I first, you know, started to realize, I, I felt, you know, there was an Asian-American identity that started to grow in my heart. And I started to also, because I took the class, I read about the history of Asian immigrants, you know, first coming to the U.S., the anti-miscegenation law and, you know, the uh, cross-country railroad and all, all those things and how Asian-Americans were not given the, uh, the same opportunities as a lot of, you know, uh, other immigrants who came here at the same time or even later. So... That, that to me at first was a shock. And after that, I felt pretty depressed probably for a year. But I guess it also has a lot to do with the Iowa weather because it's covered <laughs> in snow half a year, half of the, the time. But I have noticed a slight thaw in that. Like you're still not going to see Asian men as leading male figures a lot. But you will occasionally see a slightly different role of like an, a sexualized Asian male lead or like an Asian guy who's handsome. You'll see John Cho in like a GQ shoot or something like looking hot as hell. And it's it's rare, but I have noticed it's starting to change a little bit. Does it look that way from your perspective too? I, I think so, especially in, I think, you know, in TV, I think that happened actually earlier than in movies. Like as you mentioned, uh, John Cho, actually John Cho also played in several uh, bigger budget movies but uh, again he was rarely the lead he's usually you know the supporting role such as like his role in Star Trek but then you know you have The Walking Dead where you have the character uh, Glenn who's oh a, Alan Yang's character yeah who's, yeah who's Asian and then you have Master of None you know you, then you had Fresh Off the Boat 
uh, also, I think very soon we'll see Crazy Rich Asians. And also, I think Wang Kawai is directing a Chinatown uh, series for Netflix. So these are all exciting news. Also, Netflix announced another Taiwanese uh, TV series. So these are actually happening uh, in TV. But on the big screen, there, there's also something going on, but a lot of it has something to do with China, such as you already know the Great Wall. Yeah. You know, and all, all, since you know the Chinese company Wanda bought so many U.S. companies, right. they're, they're starting to make more and more films, for uh, you know, hoping to make more money also in the China market. But in the meantime, uh, as a matter of fact, the Great Wall is the same kind of Orientalist film that Hollywood has been made since you know the world of Susie Wong in the '60s or right. even earlier. Yeah. If you guys don't know the Great Wall that Lewis and I are referring to, it's the Matt Damon movie where he. There, it's like this incredibly well choreographed, honestly, really visually beautiful film that they just inserted Matt Damon into. And he's, I like Matt Damon, but he is bad throughout the whole film. Every line of dialogue, every accent, every action is just like lazy and shitty, but everybody else is fine. And some of my favorite Chinese actors, uh, the choreography is beautiful. And the story is like kind of an okay sci-fi historical, uh, but then it's just a boring Matt Damon dragging the whole movie down, and the entire Hollywood side of like the China Hollywood co-production world has been scared and depressed because of how poorly this movie did. And like, oh well, the Great Wall didn't do well, so I don't know. Can we like put faith in Chinese Hollywood co-production? Like, yeah, well, you gave everyone a steaming pile of garbage. Of course, it didn't do well. Maybe if you gave everyone a good Chinese Hollywood co-production film, they would be a little bit more excited about it. Um, but that's the movie that Lewis and I are talking about. If you don't know, yeah, and actually, to I really. Uh I'm glad that you mentioned this film and you told the audience about what you feel about it, which is also probably your perspective. But I think I might have a different perspective perspective watching this movie. We're only allowed to have one perspective in this booth. So oh, okay. Sorry. All right. But tell us what your perspective would have been. So my perspective is that uh, if you look at from you know like an Asian perspective, uh, the movie is pretty much about a white European person played by Matt Damon, you know, going to China and kick ass and of course win over the women. Uh, and also, he's the hero, and because he, he shoots the bow much better than everybody Chinese person in that film, for sure. So it's kind of like a Western film of a white person going to the Native American land and then save the Native Americans from invasion. Right. You know? So that's one 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 feeling I had about the movie. Then, from the other perspective, if you look at the cast or you know the production, um, the movie is basically all these Chinese A-list actors. Playing supporting roles or extras, you know, to to try to make Matt Damon look like one the, of my favorite Chinese actors, Eddie Pung. His face shows up like five times in the movie, and he's big shit, right? Like, what would you who'd you relate him to in America? Uh, maybe I would say, uh, what's his name? Uh, Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. Thor. Who plays Thor. Or, yeah. Yeah. He's like huge, and he show he's he handles the explosives in like the Great Wall defense world. He's he's the bear captain, and I didn't realize it was him until he finally took his helmet off, like two thirds of the way through the movie, and it's like, wait, he's in this film, and he's spoken three times. What's he doing here? <laughs> yeah, and and he's only actually one of the you know the the big stars that's actually in the movie. There's also Lin Gengxing, who's also a pretty big uh, mainland Chinese star. And you, you, of course, you know Andy Lau, who's yeah. you know, a Hong Kong actor 
who's equally big as Matt Damon, actually probably even more bigger, bigger and popular in Asia than Matt Damon. And again, I, I just thought, you know, how this movie was, you know, made or produced is also interesting because it reflects how the producers or the people behind this movie are also thinking because they feel, okay, if we're making this movie, a China story, we have to have a white person to make sure the box office is a success. But it turned out to be the biggest flop. Um. <laughs> like a really disappointing, disheartening flop. But you said things are changing a little in TV. And there are some things like changing in film, like the fact that Wolf Warrior swept the box office in China better than any Western film has in a really long time. And does that give you hope as a as both like an Asian man, as an Asian filmmaker, does that do you see the changes coming? I do see the changes coming, but I actually don't see the change coming from Wolf Warriors. I see more from the foreigner. You know, that's actually a good example. Is that a, the movie that you're consulting on? Uh, actually, I'm consulting on the movie after that. That's one of the Jackie Chan films that that he worked on earlier. I'm okay. working on the one that will come out in 2019. Cool. But I, I actually just saw the uh, the foreigner. I'm you not saw sure. It? I'm not sure if you saw it. But I haven't seen it yet. Uh, it's a pretty good film, and Jackie Chan plays an immigrant who's children actually his daughter got killed i don't want to spoil too much of the plot but basically it's about his revenge you know uh in the uk and he's somehow caught between the irish and british conflicts so if you see it you'll see this is actually i think a really good example of a u.s china co-production that turned out to be successful actually might be u.s uh, uh, china uk co-production but again uh, i do see hope and but in the meantime the reason why i don't see wolf warrior 2 as you know uh as the hope is because first the movie actually doesn't do well outside of China at all. I mean, in the U.S., there's almost zero box office, and you know here people think it's just a B movie. Uh, and in the meantime, the movie basically the movie is considered a circle jerk for Chinese, <laughs> Chinese government and Chinese uh, audience. You know, to to make the Chinese military power so good that so superior, even you know better than the American power. Yeah, and you should be proud of the Chinese passport or so. Well, you if know, we've been doing it for the past 35 years, I mean, why can't the rest of the world make their own circle jerk jingoistic action films? <laughs> Honestly, no one should, but if America's going to do it, China should get to do it, too. Uh, I agree. The difference is that America is a democracy, while China is still not yet a democratic country. It's more, you know, it's more about the government mm-hmm. wanting films, like certain films. I, I mean, if, if China has films that can also reflect, you know, or talk about the social issues of China... That would be great. Then you have the diversity because here in the U.S. you definitely have, you know, those hardcore military films that are, you know, um, telling you how great America is. But in the meantime, there are also films that reveal like the the social issues or problems. So right. you have like a full range of all the films. But in China, because of the censorship, if you make a movie that will really make the government very happy about it, then it's more likely to do well. Or you might, you know, you actually get more government support to have the best time to, sc- to screen the film, you know, uh, the press and everything will also be good. So there's also a lot of that taken into consideration, which that's why I, I think even though I'm happy that the film did so well, I'm happy, you know, it's made by a, a young filmmaker. And to be honest, the filmmaker, actor Wu Jing himself is not Han Chinese. He's a minority. Uh, right. well, oh, was Wu Jing the filmmaker uh, and also? Actor and, okay. yeah, I knew the, he was the, the actor. Yeah, the director yeah. And, uh, the, and actor, right. I think. Yeah, so he's a minority. And then the lead female character as you know she's half chinese and half american so she's she's from hong kong and Mm. half chinese and half american so 
that's what's interesting, you know, is this Han Chinese government supporting a film made by the mi- mi- Chinese minorities. He's a Manchu, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but then that turned out to be, you know, the symbol of masculinity of the Chinese military. Right. So I thought that was pretty funny, but again... That is really funny. Yeah. But uh, for those of you guys who don't know, and I think a lot of Americans still don't know, China is not a single ethnic state. There's like an ethnic majority, which is the Han Chinese, but then there's also a lot of minorities. Uh, and Wu Jing, who's a really famous actor, he was like a wushu star for a long time, is the minority that for a while they were like the last uh, the last um, emperors who were conquering China, the last uh, dynasty, that's what I'm looking for, was this minority. So for him to, for people to now be like supporting him as their masculine figure when for a while they felt dominated by them has an irony to it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But I, I do agree with you in the sense that because the Chinese market is, you know, booming and also because uh, there's a lot of Chinese funding in Hollywood. So there, I, I think there will be a lot more, you know, representation of Chinese or Asian American uh, Americans in on the big screen very soon because, you know, they want the, mar- they want the market, they, you know, they want to make the money. But in the meantime, I still feel there's a huge uh, or maybe a culture of com- um, that Hollywood is condescending you know, uh, towards their Chinese counterparts, even though, you know, Hollywood wants the market and wants the money. But when it comes to the creative process, the Chinese are not involved. It's still producers here in, in L.A., in Hollywood, who are making the decisions or making the choices about, you know, how we should make a Chinese movie that the Chinese people would love rather right. than having, you know, uh, talent from China to actually, you know, do it. So that's something I also thought uh, that was I guess, frustrating uh, to work in this industry. Also because, as you know, China is like the new player in the game. So they haven't been in the game longer. They don't know the, the rules of Hollywood. So, uh, and in the meantime, as you can see, a lot, of the, a lot of the big Chinese studios are still playing the role of a finan- financier, not really in a creative side. But I, I hope, I think that will change and I hope that will change yeah. eventually. Do you think a world with better Asian representation is going to be a better world, not just for... Asians in the media or Asian people who consume that media, but for everybody? Um, I think so. You know, when we talk about Asian Americans uh, or representation of Asians in Hollywood, we should also include the dialogue of African Americans or Hispanic or, you know, Mid-Easterns or, you know, basically the world, uh, if you really look at the world population, there are actually more Asians than there are that are white, right, to to be honest. But on the big screen, it's just disproportionate. It's, you know, primarily white and a big reason of that I, I think a major reason of that is because hollywood is the center you know of the uh film entertainment industry and you know the people who are making those decisions and choices are white people historically yeah. and it's been like that for so long so and you know people are not going just to give away their power to others so um so that's why you know what you see is, is what you see on the screen but in the meantime, I do feel, you know, it will be beneficial not just for Asian Americans, but, you know, for other minorities in general. Because, you know, um, having more diversity also, you know, creates a better environment for, I guess, for, for everyone. And uh, in the meantime, I also think, you know, the Asian American community should also be supportive of, you know, the black uh, or African American, you know, representation in, t- in film and television as well. And that's kind of something that you guys are doing with the film festival, right? At least... Uh, you're not so much supporting other minorities' voices, but you are making sure that a 
that a quorum of voices in a single minority is being heard. So it's not, we're not just seeing Wolf Warrior, a Jackie Chan film in the film festival. There's a lot of different issues covered in the LACFF, like different types of people's experience, LGBTQ issues from China, things that you wouldn't normally get to hear about. Uh, yes, exactly. Um, you know, because as individuals, there's only so much that we can do. So, and I think there's already, you know, African American or Black film festivals in LA, and we're, you know, just filling, um, you know, just joining the community. There's also a, already an Asian American film festival uh, in LA, the, the LA Asian Pacific Film Festival. They're they're being around for a long time. They're doing very well. They support a, a lot of Asian American filmmakers. So for us, uh, we are actually. Even a uh, even smaller niche, we're focused on Chinese cinema, and you know, other than uh, Chinese American filmmakers' work, we also actually bring a lot of Chinese films actually from China and Taiwan and Hong Kong, and actually and also the other uh, Chinese com- communities abroad uh, around the world, like Chin- the Chinese diaspora, mm-hmm. either in U.S., U.K., or other countries. So that's you know what we are trying to do, which is to bring um, bring in more diverse voices and you know uh, perspectives from Chinese filmmakers who are actually you know uh, a v- it's also a very diverse pool of work and, and films that, that we're showing here that's really exciting that's cool you're making the change happen yourself yeah and yeah. also as you mentioned we're actually showing LGBTQ films there is an LGBTQ screening of four Chinese films uh, on Friday November 17th uh, at 10 p.m. and I think that's something you would really be able to see uh, in China at least, and also actually outside of China you don't see that quite often. But if if it's in China, you can hardly ever you know just see any film like that because of the censorship issues. Yeah, is that even discussed in China? Uh, no, I don't think so. Very yeah. very very rarely. Like it's just not a thing that people. I'm not to say that America is doing so great on LGBTQ issues, but at least at least there's a dialogue. Sometimes the dialogue is horrible and frightening from certain aspects, but at least it's spoken about. You know. Yes, and actually here, you know, in, in the U.S., there's already law passed about you know LGBT or uh, you know hom- homosexual hom- homosexual people can't get married legally. Right. But in China, it's not just that they can't get married or anything. It's that there's no discourse like LGBT is not does not even exist. Even though China has the world's biggest LGBT population, just because you have just the biggest the, population, yes, yeah, yeah. But you know, maybe I don't know because you rarely see LGBT discussed or talked about in mainstream media. Yeah, yeah. So there's a denial of existence, and also there's a lot of pressure for people to, you know, to come come outside of the closet. I wanted to follow up on, you know, what I mentioned about being Asian in Iowa or, you know, that kind of feeling. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. One thing that you mentioned is that you really see, you know, Asians as lead- in leadership roles on the big screen. But in Iowa, I felt not just in leadership roles on the big screen, but in leadership roles anywhere yeah. in the city, like the whole world. I just don't see Asian leaders anywhere. We have a few, you know, professors that are Asian, but that's it. You don't see them, you know, as the de- department head or, you know, as the boss of a company or anything. Right. And I, do you feel like, how much do you think that media influences that? Do you think that that's a thing that life would influence the media or that media would influence the life? I think they interact with each other. I, um, you know, I think media rep- media representation is very, very, very strong and it's so subtle that you don't, you, you would absorb it, you know, every day, but... A lot of times it's subconscious. It's not something, you know, like you are being told that 
you need to think this way. It's just that, oh, you assume this is the norm. So that's what's really powerful about media and entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, we live in a world right now that we're surrounded by all kinds of images and media. So I guess either underrepresentation or misrepresentation can be really hurtful for a minority community. They can deny your story. It can. Yes. The only way I can relate to that is that I grew up. So I grew up Jewish in a small city where the only Jewish role models on television were weird, geeky comedian types like Woody Allen, like Jerry Seinfeld. There were no cool Jews, right, on in TV in the world. Jews, like, talked like this, oh, and they liked bagels, and no one had sex with them. And being being someone trying to live in that shadow was really hard it was really gross you know you feel like you're walking around with everyone expecting like oh you're that guy you're that guy who talks that way and does that thing and makes that joke so we don't need to like we don't need to expect more from you or like look at you as anything but that and I you try to fight against it but there's only so much you can really do to like struggle out of it and my good friends weren't they never put me in that box but there were times where the only times I could ever feel like a person who wasn't that was when I was with another Jewish person because like no I know you don't think I'm that because I don't think you're that so we can communicate on that same level of oh you're not a young Woody Allen and I'm not a young Jerry Seinfeld I'm Alex and you're my friend and we can just like drive around and not be that way and seeing representation of Jewish men and Jewish women in media being different being like a little sexier or even if they're not Jewish but people who look Jewish like one of my favorite comedic actors is Jason Manzukas. I don't know if you know him but he's he does comedy a lot and he he's Greek but he looks just like me and he plays crazy insane dangerous and like hypersexual roles and seeing someone who looks like me do something like that is so freeing because then no I can also be that like that's a role that I can inhabit too like I can go anywhere from the weird creepy but funny Woody Allen to the like insane dangerous role and you can't now there's a longer continuum for you to put me in and that it's at least easier when you're interacting with people who aren't going to take the time to get to know you or aren't willing to get to know you or just don't want to put in the effort you know yeah I totally understand that and I think actually being Asian is probably even worse than I, I guess I I've think never you're right. yeah I guess I've never had the Jewish experience so I can't really compare but yeah I totally understand what you just described and I guess uh, I've met a group of Asian Americans in Iowa and one of my friend actually was adopted and he after he graduated school graduated from Iowa he never actually wanted to go back there he just didn't like the place growing up and um, but yeah so I guess just uh, you know to comment on what you just said i think the asian especially asian men also feel like they are sexual uh, they're represented in a very asexual way and then that actually would really damage their uh dating life or a lifestyle and i don't know if you have ever heard about or maybe if, if if you ever noticed you know i think within the asian or asian american community there are different kind of uh asian or asian americans who feel about their relationship with, you know, the so-called mainstream. A lot of people actually, uh, you know, feel really proud about their Asian 
heritage, and that can be a defense mechanism against racism. Well, there are also people who kind of uh, deny their Asian identity and, and just say that, you know, I'm just, I feel I'm just a person. I don't see myself as Asian. I've, you know, I'm just, I just have a different look, but I'm more American or, you know, they're, right. they prefer to hang out with white people and they don't, they want to deny that, that uh, identity. So that's, can you know in a way it's also kind of like a, d- a defense mechanism they want to be as they do not want to be associated with you know the negative representation of being asian so mm. either way there is a denial so you know the the real the really hard thing which i also had to learn uh, after being in the u.s for a while is to really how you accept you know what's what's happening or the stat the current status or the identity and how to really understand and feel comfortable with it you think that's what's driven you to do this film festival? Uh, that's part of the reason why uh, that's driven me to do this film festival. And also I feel, you know, um, I feel there's a lot of Chinese talent uh, right now in Hollywood or, you know, around the world, but they're not being given the, op- the same opportunities. So why not? And, and if, you know, you don't see them in, on the big screen, you don't see them anywhere else why not just create an event so that we can create a community and celebrate? That's also something we haven't discussed is, the Asian, the way that Asian women are stereotyped mm-hmm. in media. And I've noticed one slight change to that in television with one character, but it's, it's, oh, I'm forgetting her, her character name right now. Agent May on, um, Agent of Shield. Agents of Shield, mm-hmm. who is portrayed, she's slightly a dragon lady. But she's not hypersexualized, mm-hmm. right? Because there is that history of Asian women being portrayed as submissive and hypersexualized and like very exotic mm-hmm. in media. But she is tough as shit. So it's like I think they're they're going for the their hearts are in the right place mm-hmm. with her character. Um, and the lead on Agents of Shield is an Asian woman, but you honestly couldn't tell if they didn't tell you if like Chloe Bennett. Yeah. Right, because she's her name used to be Chloe Wong. Right. Yeah. But she doesn't. She looks. She's beyond white passing. When they revealed in that show, spoiler alert, if you like Agents of Shield, uh, when they revealed that her character is from China, I was like, what? No, you can't do that. That's a white lady. And then I had to look up that Chloe Bennett was actually Asian, just because she doesn't look it at all. Yeah, and also, I guess, in the new Star Trek TV, you see Michelle Yeoh uh, in the first episode as the captain of the ship. So I guess that's also some representat- representation there. Yeah. And then there's also the show Nikita, uh, which stars uh, starring Maggie Q. And Maggie Q is also half Asian. So yeah. at least there's 50% of asian is in, in there. You know. It's 50% better representation. 50, yeah, 50% yeah. better representation. We're getting close to the end. Do you want to swing back around on representation and how it might be looking up in the future and how that gives you hope, you personally, but also how you think it's a good thing for the world? So I do think, you know, China being the growing big uh, market will increase more representation of Asians on the big screen. And I think, you know, that's probably going to be a game changer. It's changing slowly, but I think it's changing. Mm. So there will be more representations of of Asians in general. I'm also concerned and wor- worried about China's expansion because, you know, a lot of the expansion somehow are also political. So I was also hoping, you know, that giving more representation to, you know, Chinese actors and actresses also doesn't hin- hinder, you know, the African-American or other community or 
it doesn't hurt you know uh, democracy or liberty or mm. freedom of speech. So I think it's an exciting time right now to to be able to see how China is changing Hollywood. And also in the meantime, I think there's also a big you know movement in the U.S. is going on for uh, to you know to get more diversity on the big screen. So they, I think they are happening at the same time, and you know they're interacting with each other. And I think that's something uh, I look forward to, and and also I really look forward to see more uh, Asian or minority or women. Uh, filmmakers, you know, to be able to advance their career in the entertainment industry. That's beautiful, and I, I'm glad to get a perspective outside of my own on it because there's only so much you can know unless you're talking to people. So thank you, Lewis, for coming on. Where can people find your work? Where can they find more about the film festival or you specifically if they're interested? If they're interested in the LA Chinese Film Festival. They can look us up on social media, the hashtag LACFF, or go to our website lacff.org. Or if they are interested in me personally, I also have a personal website, which is、uh, my name z h a o l e w i s l i u dot com. So they can find me through my website or social media as well. Okay, guys. If any of you are in LA during those dates, I want to see you at that festival. It's gonna be amazing. If not, go to Lewis's website and just just flood his info,、uh, his info email with a, a ton of questions. Sure. How are you?、Not. Yeah. How's your day? Thank you so much for listening. I always appreciate it when you guys stop by, even if it's for a little bit. If you like the podcast, please like, share, subscribe, and、uh, share it with a friend. For real. There is no advertising on this podcast. It's all by word of mouth. So I would love if you passed it with at least one person per episode.、Um, if you liked it, also a review goes a long way. I know it sucks every time I ask you guys for a review. I hate it. I hate doing it. Lewis can see I'm pinching myself. I'm drawing blood, but I have to do this. If you can, just type up a quick review. Five stars would be nice, but if not, just tell me what the problem was, and、uh, and that would mean a lot to me. Have a great rest of your day. If you're driving, please don't crash, and I'll talk to you next time. Nerdist School Network. For class and show information, visit nerdistschool.com.